Welcome to Rav Moshe A to Z, where each week we look at three Tuvot of Rav Moshe Feinstein, following themes running from A to Z. This week we're going to look at C, conversion. Three Tuvot relating to issues of Geras and conversion. Rav Moshe has many, many, many Tuvot when it comes to conversion. And what's interesting and notable, as we'll see, is that on the one hand, he puts out a pretty high standard about what he requires for the process of conversion, particularly when it comes to the issue of Kabbalat mitzvot, what type of mitzvot, the range of mitzvot that a ger has to commit him or herself to. But number two, he also has a very different standard when it comes to post facto and bidi eved, or when it's looking at specific cases and paying attention to the context of specific cases. The tuva that we're going to do today is one that's not actually about becoming a ger, but about mitzvot that relate to a ger, or more specifically, restrictions that relate to a ger, the restriction of srara, of a position of authority. And this is a tshuva that's in Yordea 426, um, and it was written in 1984. Rav Moshe actually passed away in 1984. 1986. This came out in volume 8, which was published posthumously. And actually, you see that at the beginning of the tshuva, because he writes the following. He says, My grandson, Rav Mordechai Tendler, read to me your letter. Um, so first of all, he needs the letter read to him. Um, and because it's difficult to me, because I'm so weak for me to write, I said over the tshuva very briefly. We'll see, it's not so brief. I asked him to write it in a writing machine, presumably a typewriter. But anyway, here it's fascinating, just that one line, that you see this is really close to his end of life and how he is dictating and having things read to him. So what is the question here? The question is, can a ger serve as a rosh yeshiva? This is a tshuva that's sort of close to my heart because it deals with the status of being a rosh yeshiva. And the question is that according to the Gemara, a ger is not supposed to be in a position of authority based on the idea that it says, from amongst your brothers, you shall place a king upon you. So the Gemara says that only somebody who is a naturally born Jew, like we have a law, a president has to be a naturally born citizen, only somebody who's a naturally born Jew can be the king. Uh, but then the Gemara extends that to not only being a king, but really any position of authority. So the question is, so uh, Rosh Hashiva certainly sounds like a position of authority. Can a ger take that role? The first issue that Rav Moshe raises is that it's fascinating that this halacha, while clearly stated in the Gemara twice and clearly quoted in Rambam, doesn't appear in Shulchan Aruch. So if you are looking for a way to say it's permitted, which it's clear that Rav Moshe is, as he'll say explicitly, you would think you might want to say, well, maybe if it's not quoted in Shulchan Aruch, that should be an indication that, you know, maybe for some reason we don't pask in this way. But Rav Moshe rejects that out of hand. He says, I don't know why it's not in Shulchan Aruch, but he says the Gemara is clear, so therefore we cannot question this halacha. So he does not use that possible opening. Now here he frames the question. He says, the question is, Leminoi Ger, appointing a Ger, a convert, Lemelamed as a teacher, Omag which is at higher level, like giving to advanced students, or mashkiach, to be the spiritual guide, or filu rosh to be the head of the yeshiva. What would be the reason to say he could? 
isn't this a problem of Srara? He first responds to the fact that the one asking the question said, maybe we can bring evidence from Shmaya Neftalion. Shmaya Neftalion were some of the very, very early rabbis in the Tanaitic period, and the Gemara says that they were Geirim, or at least they were descendant from Geirim. So is this evidence that a Geir can be in a position of authority? Um, and one could sort of also ask, like, can you bring a halachic proof from a historical event? Rav Moshe is not at all hesitant to use uh, historical sources, certainly historical sources that are in the Gemara, Agadic sources, a wide range of sources, but nevertheless, he rejects this. He says, look, Shmaya and Aftalion are an exception. You cannot prove anything from an exceptional case. You know, they were the Gedole Hador, so even if there was a rule, an exception could have been made for them. And then here comes the real fundamental methodological or values point that Rav Moshe is making that is just so powerful to this tshuva and I think to thinking about Rav Moshe's approach in general. And here's what he says. But as a matter of practice, we, you should know that the mitzvah to love the ger Mechayevet Otanu obligates us lekarvan to bring them close ulahakel bechol inyanim elu and to be lenient in all of these matters. So Rav Moshe makes it very clear. You know, sometimes people ask, does a posek ever approach sources with a sense of where he is going? Rav Moshe here says explicitly that the obligation to love the ger means that even though there's this one halacha, and this is ironic, right? Because the Torah says kager ke'ezrach, a ger is supposed to be completely equivalent. But then actually, this halacha says a ger isn't equivalent. In positions of authority, a ger can't hold those positions. So Rav Moshe says the mitzvah of loving the ger obligates us to define that exception, that restriction, as narrowly as possible. And it's interesting to think, you know, even when there isn't a mitzvah of Havata Ger, when Rav Moshe in his Kuvot is responsive to people dealing with various challenges, is there a similar type of an ideology sort of compelling him that a responsiveness to the human condition and the challenges that humans find obligates us to make the Torah as much of a Torah Chaim as possible. Anyway, here he is saying that in the context of the Ger. So he starts by making it clear. What I have to do is to figure out how I can define Define this problem as narrowly as possible. So how is he going to do that? He's going to say that we have to be precise about what constitutes srara, what constitutes a position of authority. Now, at first glance, what is a greater position of authority than being the Rosh Yeshiva, the head of an institution? But here's what he says. First, he says, So the transition from saying that I have a mandate to interpret this as narrowly as possible, it doesn't just jump to the end result. Obviously, you, we, even with that mandate, you have to feel that you can get to the end result in a way that is really, you know, shows real fidelity and consistent with halacha and with the parameters of halacha. So of Moshe I really thought about this hard, I worked on this hard, and I was able to come to this conclusion. And what's his conclusion? His conclusion is, is that a Rosh Yeshiva is not a position of authority. Why is, why is that? He says, because nowadays we enter into these institutions, it's voluntary. Nobody is obligated to listen to the Rosh Yeshiva. The only people that are obligated to listen to the Rosh Yeshiva are the students that are choosing to attend the Yeshiva. So in a context, what is the authority that the Torah prohibits when it is forced upon people against their will? But an authority that is one that is given to somebody because of a sort of contractual or voluntary relationship, that is not a problem of Srara. 
That is his Chiddush. And he says like this, he says, The basic role of the yeshiva is that you teach the students when they want to learn. And then he says, but one minute, they do have real power. They can kick a student out against his will. They can decide not to accept a particular student. So if Moshe says, even though he can throw them out, nevertheless, that's just uh, like any other job. You can be fired. So are you going to tell me that a ger can't hire you know, contractors to work on his house because he can fire them if he's not happy with them. The ability to fire somebody or to kick someone out of a what is a voluntary contractual relationship is not srara. Srara is a power that is imposed on someone against their will. Then Rav Moshe actually, though, has to make this fit with other of his psakim and other ways he's conceptualized this issue of srara. Because the way people nowadays, or the context in which most people nowadays have heard the idea of srara, comes up often not around the ger, the convert, but around women. Um, and Rav Moshe has a famous tshuva that he dealt with that he refers to here about whether a woman can be a mashkiach. Uh, mashkiach for kashras. The case was a, her husband was a mashkiach, husband died, she wants to take over that position, she knows the halacha, um, she needs to earn the money, is she allowed to do it? And Rav Moshe first proves that she's of course believed in matters of kashras. Then he goes on to say though that what about the issue of a position of authority? And here he says that actually being a mashkiach is a position of authority. So then how does he figure out why this woman can be the mashkiach? So it says something fascinating which is really a little off topic, but he says, here he says, you know what, that's not so clear that a woman can't be in a position of srara. The ger issue is explicit in the Gemara, so even though it's not in the Shulchan Aruch, that's the halacha. But a woman not having a position of srara is just something in Rambam that's not in Shulchan Aruch. And then he goes on to demonstrate that many Rishonim seem to completely disagree with Rambam and says that we can actually rely on the positions, not like Rambam in a case like this where the woman needed a parnasa. So that's certainly fascinating for broader issues. But now here, his question is, one minute, how could I say being a mashkiach is a position of authority? And being a Rosh Hashim is not. I mean, a mashkiach also is contractual. A restaurant owner hires a mashkiach to give a hashkacha. So what's the difference? So here's what he says. He says, that's minoy shel srara. Why? The hasam who minoy lasos neged ratzon balabayit. Your role is to act against the will of the person who, let's say, the restaurant owner. You represent the Torah, and you actually are going to close down his business or you know, take away the hashkacha. Use your power and authority representing the Torah to do something against what the restaurant owner wants. That is, even though it was entered into contractually, that is a position of real power. Of course, the funny thing is, how is that different than kicking out the student? You know, and if somebody's going to kick out a student, presumably if because the student isn't living up to my standards of what a ben Torah should be, it's because I, as the Rosh Hashiva, represent Torah, and I'm kicking them out against their will, so how is it any different? The relationship is contractual in both cases. Shrev Moshe doesn't exactly spell it out, but I believe what he is saying is, if you read closely, because a Rosh Hashiva's primary role is not to kick out students. A Rosh Hashiva's primary role is to teach. The other stuff, the administrative stuff, is a piece of it. But his status as a Rosh Hashiva is not a status of power over people. It's a status of Torah teacher. And the fact that he does have some power of a teacher, like a boss does, is, does not make that a position of authority. But somebody that is hired to catch people, to find them, to make sure they live up to a standard, that, even if it's entered contractually, is a position of authority. The last thing Rav Moshe sort of addresses in passing is, okay, but you know, there's other ways that the, the Rosh Yeshiva is different from, let's say, a boss. No 
nobody appoints a boss if you want to hire yourself out to do a job. He actually goes and looks for workers. A Rosh Hashiva often, the way it works institutionally, is that they're actually appointed by the rabban and by the rabbis of the yeshiva. Maybe being appointed to a position is part of the problem. Also, it's a position of great status, and maybe that's part of the problem. And Rav Moshe dismisses both of these. He says, it's true, this is a position of status, of high status, and that matters in other areas of halacha, but that's not what the issue of srubra for a ger is. Again, he is living up to what he said, that the mitzvah of loving the ger obligates us to define this as narrowly as possible. So one certainly could have defined it more broadly, focused on the appointment and on the status, but Rav Moshe is choosing not to. So in this tshuva, I think it's really, it, it's a powerful tshuva because it speaks, A, Rav Moshe is being transparent in terms of what he sort of sees as his mandate as a posse, particularly in this area, and that sometimes post game do go into an area knowing where they want to get, and how he feels that this inherent tension about what Halacha says about gerim, the mitzvah to love the ger, the idea that a ger is supposed to be totally equal, and the Halacha that actually says they're not equal, another posse could have said, the Srara wins out, and there are post game who said that. The restrictions win out. Rav Moshe says, Avas Hager wins out. It doesn't eliminate the other, but it makes it as narrow as possible because we have to do everything we can to bring gear in close, to make them equal members of the community. Thanks for listening to Igris Moshe A to Z with Rabbi Dov Linzer. This podcast is brought to you three times a week by Shivat Chovevei Torah. Don't forget to subscribe and check out yctorah.org to learn more.